BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Hey there, everyone from KQED Public Radio. This is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. Today on The Breakdown, we dig into the home insurance crisis in California and beyond, brought on by a changing climate and the resulting natural disasters. KQED's own Danielle Venton will be here to discuss her reporting, which is featured on a new season of the podcast, Sold Out. But first, got a big night tonight for our own California governor. For some reason, he's in Georgia debating Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And neither... Follow the bouncing ball. Like... So what are they running for? Yeah, exactly. Well, of course, DeSantis is trying to run for president. He's have been struggling. Uh, Newsom is insists he's not running for president, and he's insist, not. Insist, 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 insist. Yeah, he has sub-zero interest in that. But he, of course, has been raising his national profile, international profile, really, with a trip to China and Israel. Uh, and so, yeah, he's he's been egging on, he's been trolling DeSantis, along with Texas Governor Greg Abbott, for months now. And they finally agreed to debate tonight on uh, Fox with Sean Hannity, uh, who apparently is buddies with uh, Gavin Newsom now. Bromance, I believe, is the correct... Yeah, bromance. Bromance frenemies. Yeah, it's a lot of... Gonna be a lot of testosterone, hey, I think. I went back room. and found the tweet where Newsom originally challenged DeSantis to this debate. It includes lines like, clearly you're struggling, distracted, and busy playing politics with people's lives. I'll bring my hair gel, you bring your hairspray. There you so, go. I, can we expect that level of intellectualism, do you I think, at this debate? I hope not. I mean, there are some very substantive differences between these guys and between California and Florida. You did a lot of reporting, Maurice, on COVID policy and how differently uh, California and Florida dealt with it. Now, there's also things that Newsom is going to have to defend, like all the homeless in San, homelessness in oh, California, the cost of living. there is homelessness in Florida, too. Nobody talks about it. Yeah, there, there, there is, for sure. But like all these things, it's like they're each going to come armed with their data. And we, we know that Governor Newsom loves data. He loves studies and statistics. And you can kind of get lost in that. It's not necessarily the kind of thing that wins over an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think ultimately, it's really going to be what impression do people take away from these, uh, you know, this confrontation. I don't think any 
anybody's going to remember the, the substance of the, or the details of what they talked about. But it's like, you know, DeSantis has not been the most likable on the campaign trail. A lot of people don't like Gavin Newsom, but nonetheless, you know, he beat back a, a recall. Um, and, you know, this isn't really his audience. It's Fox News. It's not his base. But he loves that because he watches yeah. Fox News all the time. As we said, I mean, he's been on with Hannity several times. They like to spar. He showed up at the GOP presidential debate to be in the spin room. Um, I think it's going to be fascinating to see. Hannity has promised to sort of like not do a lot, just kind of let them go at it. So we'll see how that works out. That could be bad if they're just cro- t- like crosstalk over each other. Um, but yeah, I think to your point, I mean, one of the analysts I spoke with about this is um, Selena Zito. She writes for the Washington Examiner and the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And she was like, you know, this is a rare debate where they could actually both kind of win in the sense that like they're not talking to the same audiences. So I think as long as no, it doesn't feel like a routing on either side, yeah. like they both might sort of be able to sort of claim victory. And, you know, in Newsom's case, as someone else pointed out to me, it, he gets to talk to an audience that he doesn't always. And in that in itself is a win for him because he is trying to, to spread the good word of Gavin Newsom far yeah. and wide and for whenever he, he runs. Yeah, and I think he gets points, as Pete Buttigieg does, when he goes on Fox just for being there because it is known as a kind of a very hostile to Democrats kind of environment. And so, you know, we'll see how that goes. Um, and, you know, Marisa, you and I saw him up close debating uh, Brian Daly in the gubernatorial election saw, last year. We moderated year. it. We moderated Scott. it, yeah. Yeah, we did. And, you know, we remember, I think, how aggressive Newsom yeah. was in that debate. Better than I expected, honestly. Better and more aggressive than I thought he would be. See, I'm using that hand thing that he does and Bill Clinton does. Sorry. Um, but, yeah, so I think we'll accept, we, I would expect to see more of that tonight. Um, and what I hope is that it's not just a bunch of screaming over each other that people actually get to hear what they're saying. Yeah, like, make the case. Why is your six-week abortion ban better than California's very, you know, liberal so to speak abortion law. like like let's get into it why the don't say gay versus like the way that we've handled lgbt rights here i mean these are serious issues that impact people's lives and you know this is an opportunity yeah we'll have to see all right before we go to a break scott um <laughs> big news dropped just before the thanksgiving holiday the assembly speaker uh robert revis who just took over um is has named a bunch of new committee assignments. This is the game of musical chairs, Kingmaker himself. What what do we know? Yeah, well, you know, as the expression goes, to the winner go the spoils. And so he's getting to uh, reward some of his big allies and some of the bigger moves that he made. Um, Assembly member Cecilia Aguiar-Curry from Davis is going to be replacing Isaac Bryan, uh, who was sort of Revis's top lieutenant um, in that contentious, uh, you know, very long battle, very contentious battle that split the caucus uh, to who, would, who was going to replace Anthony Rendon uh, as the speaker. Brian now takes over natural resources. And then Buffy Wicks here in the Bay Area gets a really plum assignment. She'll be chair of Appropes, Appropriations. Uh, And, you know, both um, that and the Budget Committee, which is now going to be chaired uh, by Jesse Gabriel taking over from Phil Ting. Those are the real two of the real juice committees. Yeah. Um, and then just real quick, another uh, change, um, you know, public safety, fentanyl has become a big issue and there's going to be a change in the chair of that public safety committee, Reggie Jones-Sawyer. No uh, surprise there. I mean, he is running in L.A. for a local office. He had gotten a lot of flack. I mean, I don't I, I think he had told me that he was 
he knew he would be replaced essentially, and he and he was happy about it because he's going to be running for this local office. But although he's being replaced by a guy running for mayor of Sacramento, right? <laughs> Kevin so it's McCarty. not like you can't walk and chew gum. <laughs> I mean, look, all of these are pretty progressive Democrats. Still, there are going to be some differences. I think there's uh, some cheering of the Yimby sort. That this idea that the the sort of it further strengthens because I can't. I don't think you can say that there was a bunch of NIMBYs in charge before. Um, to your point, Buffy Wicks, one of Revis's sort of top lieutenants in the speaker battle, uh, getting that plum position. Although you know that also means you're gonna have to be the bad guy when it or bad lady when it comes time. Um, She's up for that. Yeah, I think she is, <laughs> and I think that it. I mean, it's just. I think these are the kinds of things that you're like, oh, okay, noted. You know, I think Isaac Bryan and him had kind of clashed because he had some, you know, designs on the leadership post as well. Yeah. But a lot of this is gonna we're gonna have to wait and see what it actually means. You well, know? yeah, and I think the one one thing that is being noticed is that with Isaac Bryan leaving as sort of that inner circle uh, for the speaker, there are now no black members of the assembly who are really going to be among the top lieutenants mm. uh, for the new speaker. And there's some consternation about that. Although, you know, if you look at all the committee chairs, you know, it is a diverse group of folks. And it is interesting. I mean, because we're also this is the first time in a very long time we don't have a speaker from either L.A. or kind of central Bay Area. Yeah. Revis is from Salinas, a much more sort of rural, um, different, just different vibe. Yeah. Be, and it's good. I think it's yeah, I think those there are parts of California that never really feel represented in Sacramento, whether it's the Central Valley or the Central Coast. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be very interesting. And he seems to be uniting the caucus in a way that it certainly wasn't, you know, by the end of last summer. We'll see. Yeah, we will see. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, KQED science reporter Danielle Venton will join us to talk about her deep dive into the troubled home insurance market in California. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. We are thrilled to have on the show today Danielle Venton. She is a science reporter here at KQED and was part of the team who just put out a new season of the podcast Sold Out Rethinking Housing in America. This season is a six-part look at the intersection of housing and climate change crises. Danielle, thanks for being here. Hey. 
Thanks so much for having me. All right. Well, we want to get into the politics and what's happening here. But I thought we'd start with the way you open your episode of the show, which is the story of a Santa Rosa man, Jason Majors. Tell us a little bit about what happened to him and kind of why you used him as a central character in this whole narrative. Yeah. I mean, I thought he typified the insurance crisis in sort of an unexpected way. So he, until recently, lived in northwest Santa Rosa in a very fire-prone area, steep canyons, thick forests, lots of lots of overgrown brush, and survived about half a dozen fires in about the last seven years. He survived the Tubbs, the Kincaid, the Wallbridge, the Hennessy, and the Glass Fires. And his home, and is, his made, home, and his home has, is still standing, but he's had his insurance canceled about as many times. Mm. Wow. When I spoke to him this summer, he still had insurance, but he was trying to sell his home because unfortunately he's getting a divorce and that's part of the deal. Just so we understand, like, did he survive all those fires by dumb luck or did he do things to make it more defensible? He's worked on his property a lot. He takes it real seriously. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He spends days clearing brush. He has a, you know, a roof that is ready for fires, has mesh over the vents. I mean, he he does all the things he can to be prepared for fires. Um, But he had a terrible terribly hard time trying to sell his property. He had to drop the price four times before he found a buyer. And one of the things his agent told him was that prospective buyers liked the house, they liked the area, but they couldn't get insurance, at least insurance that they were happy with. And so it really, it was eroding into his personal wealth and, you know, the money that he'd have to to start this new phase of life. So this is, I mean... Insur- people, I'm not going to lie, Danielle, sometimes people get a little bore- bored talking about insurance, right? <laughs> so, I mean, can you just kind of explain to us, like, what is the state of play here in California? When we talk about the insurance market, who are the key players when it comes to regulators, advocates? Like, how does the process work? Um, I mean, obviously, we know as consumers, you buy a house, you got to get it insured. If you have a mortgage, you want to get it insured anyway, because you don't want to something to happen. But like, how is what I pay regulated by the state? How does that all play out? Absolutely. I mean, I think people think that insurance is boring, but I think it's fascinating because it is our first line of defense against climate change for for most of us. And it's basically betting. I mean, right? It's gambling. Yeah, totally. And it's the... It's a thing that guarantees that, you know, if something bad happens to you, it doesn't ruin your future life. You yeah. Kinda, yeah. You know, At the same it, time, it's like out? one of the few things you buy that you hope you never use. <laughs> True. <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the, the less often you have to use it, the healthier the whole market is. And people are using to ins- insurance too often right now. And that's the source of the big problem. So, right. you know, what's what's the who are the players here? You have insurance companies who are, you know, placing bets basically with Um, with their consumers about, you know, how risky their property is. Uh, You have the insurance commissioner, Ricardo Lara, who regulates the industry uh, in the state. And then you have different consumer advocate groups who are trying to trying to look out for customers. So let's dig into one of those. And that's the insurance commissioner. That position was created by the voters in 1988, Proposition 103. And at that time, the big issue was auto insurance. Obviously, a lot has changed since then. So, you know, as we're we're talking now about home insurance, but what else is on his plate and how much power does he, Ricardo Lara, have to address this problem? Yeah, Prop 103 in 1988 made that an elected position. It had been appointed by the governor um, prior to that. So it affected um, car insurance. It also affected home insurance, um, business insurance. And he has a lot of power to determine how companies can do business 
do business in this state. Um, people have different interpretations of how well he's using that power, um, whether whether he is, you know, whether Prop 103 has been, whether the rules have been kind of written too strictly, um, you know, above and beyond the letter of the law. Um, Can you tell us, like, what were the basics of 103? Like, what was, besides creating this elected, uh, you know, position, like, what what did it say? And, so, I, and, and I would assume the idea of that was to insulate that person from what? Politics? To make, <laughs> to make, them, to make them independence, which is kind of ironic because yeah. they're elected yeah. now. Well, and, and now you could argue that it's more subjected to populist wins because it is a, an elected position. Um, so in the late 80s, car insurance in California was just increasing hand over fist. I mean, it was it, it was absurd. Um, and so Prop 103, to start with, told insurance companies that they had to decrease their rates by 20 percent, but also that they couldn't project into the future how bad they thought risk was going to be. They had to use historical data to price risk and that they couldn't increase rates too much above about 7 percent without getting together all these documents, all this data, going to the state and saying, hey, we want to raise our rates, you know, more than 7%. This is why you should let us. And the state that would then take a look at that and say, yes, you can or no, you can't. So created similar regulation to what we have in the electricity market, for example, now, right? And then it also created a opportunity for the public to get involved and challenge those rate increases. Mm. And if, if members of the public wanted to do that, they could apply for the costs of doing that to be, um, to be reimbursed. And some consumer advocates like Consumer Watchdog have made about $10 million over the last decade. Not made, but they have been reimbursed um, millions of dollars for their work in challenging rate increases. You know, it's hard to understand how auto insurance could suddenly be going up, 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 up. It's not like people were becoming worse drivers. But in the I case mean, maybe of, they were. Well, but. maybe they were. <laughs> but like not to justify those kind of rate increases that trigger this. But with in this case, climate change and wildfires are, in fact making it more expensive for insurance companies and, and homeowners to survive. And so they have a better case to make, don't they, that maybe their rates should be based on something else that really reflects the conditions. Because things are changing, right, to your point about projections versus reflections. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think everyone who's lived through the last seven years in this state realize that realizes that the risk that we thought existed 10 years ago is not the risk that we have today. If you grant that, then I think it's reasonable to, you know, to accept that maybe we need to pay more for that risk to be insured. Insurance companies want to be able to look into the future. And so they're called catastrophic models, catastrophe modeling, mm. um, which would which incorporate climate change models and local conditions into kind of predicting uh, how much a place is at risk of fire or floods. Yeah. So I guess like... What do you see as the politics here? Because it strikes me that an insurance commissioner, Ricardo Lara, needs to tackle this. But there's also not a lot of like, like you don't want to be the person overseeing huge increases in the market. Like, how do you see this kind of right now? It, It seems like nobody has really wanted to tackle it head on from the governor on down to the legislature and insurance commissioner. Do you think that's fair? I think that's fair. I think tackling it is not going to be popular. And that because rates will go up because rates will go up. Now, let me let me say, you know, the, the devil's advocate side of this people's rates going up 
maybe 20, 30 percent kind of across the state would mean paying a couple hundred dollars more a year for insurance. I don't want to pay more. Right. Like I like having my insurance, you know, pretty reasonable. We should say insurance in California costs quite a bit less than in other states with similar climate liabilities. I don't want to pay more for insurance, but I also want to be able to sell my house. Right. Or buy a house. Or buy a house and build it if it does get It's not the end of the world necessarily to Mm. pay a little bit more for insurance. It's the end of the world if the insurance market continues to weaken and someday collapses. And the, the path that we're on right now... I mean, we are headed towards that. How much could the governor do with an executive order or Ricardo Lara as insurance commissioner do unilaterally? I mean, to what extent can they address the problem on their own? Through executive order, I don't think the governor can do much. In September, he did issue an executive order asking for Ricardo Lara to take quick action on trying to stabilize the market. And Two hours later, hmm. <laughs> Ricardo Lara, almost as <laughs> if they orchestrated the whole thing together, <laughs> um, announced these big sets of changes. And some of these, some of the things that he said would be considered are stuff that the insurance industry definitely wants. Like they want to be able to use catastrophic models, not just historical modeling. Uh, he said that they'd hire more staff to consider rate increases faster. But the big, you know, a, a big thing concession that he got from the insurance industry, which which shouldn't be overlooked, is that the insurance companies guaranteed that they would write, that they would cover 85% of homeowners in wildfire-prone areas. Which These are the areas that insurance companies have been, have been leaving. Kind of, they're, they're sort of cherry-picking who they want to insure so that they mm-hmm. don't have too much risk. Um, and and that would be a you know if eighty five percent of homeowners can get good fair market coverage, coverage market yeah. coverage in wildfire prone areas that would take some of the risk off the public sort of the public option um, and you know th- that could be very good for stabilizing the market. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. We are talking with KQED science reporter Daniel Venton. We're talking climate change, housing, and insurance. All right. So the insurance commissioner is going down this regulatory route, not with a change in the law, right? They're trying to sort of restructure within the confines of Prop 103. Basically rewrite the rules of right. 103. The so interpretation of yes. 103. Which is controversial. Um, Let's talk about the pushback they've received. I know Consumer Watchdog, who you mentioned at the top, is one of the biggest interveners. They're one of the biggest groups in the state. They have reacted pretty angrily, I would say, to some of this. Um, You know, we also saw a lot of pushback when there was an attempt in the legislature this summer to do some of this legislatively. Mm -hmm. And we've seen a bunch of members of Congress come out against it. What are they objecting to? I mean, the... If I, just to say it bluntly, I think they want the past to still be the present. Mm. You know, they they um, there is a huge concern about rates going up, but it seems hard to figure out how you really fix this problem mm. without rates, rates going, going up. up. You can't well, wa- you can't wildfire safety your way out of the crisis yeah. that we're in right now. So, in other words, you're saying it's going to take some political courage. Um, we've got an insurance commissioner who just got reelected, and I—I I, I don't know if there are term limits for insurance commissioner, but you know, he—he's not going to face the voters in any case until 2026. You'd think that would maybe help him get a stronger spine. Newsom can't run for governor again, but he's—and we should say, Lara's been on the show. We've asked him about this. He's gotten a lot of heat. 
since he got elected in 2018 for essentially reneging on a campaign promise. He said he would take no money from insurance companies. Public campaign filings show that he has. He also got some heat for hanging out with insurance lobbyists and things like that. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, there's some distrust here, right, with with the consumer advocates and yeah, other and for, folks. And some justification for that. Yeah. Absolutely. But I have spoken with consumer advocates and, in fact, um, John Garamendi, the congressman who penned the letter that was signed by um, by many, you know, a large portion of the congressional um, California congressional delegation. Former insurance commissioner himself. Former, yeah. And I was and he wrote this letter to Lara um, that said, you know, we we're concerned with the steps that you're taking and think that you should use your powers to 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 for, take a closer look at basically the books of individual insurance companies. And I, I spoke with him yesterday. I really tried to push on how do you think that more data is going to help him better regulate these companies? Don't these companies kind of know their own bottom line? And they're deciding to leave. Seven of the top 12 insurance companies have left or are pulling back from the state. And I could not get a clear answer yeah, um, it was a little bit bewildering, and, and unfortunately, he got pretty frustrated with me. Mm. Um, uh, I, I don't understand. Th- th- they don't seem to make a concession that ins- the insurance industry regulation structure actually needs to change. You know, we're right in this moment where Newsom, the legislature, is very much in a YIMBY phase. You know, let's build more housing. And I'm wondering, how does this problem of people not being able to get insurance in some parts of the state, how does that bump up against those priorities? Oh, my goodness. This is an enormous problem. You know, developers, people who are going to build homes, they're one of the people who want to buy insurance. If they can't get insurance, they're not going to build those homes. And that really threatens everything the state is trying to do to become more affordable, more equitable. I mean, housing is a problem that affects all other areas of of the state. What do we know about you know, to Garamendi's concerns and and those of some of the consumer groups. Um, like, what do we know about insurance companies' bottom lines? Like, what do they have to tell us? You know, how much they make or tell Wall Street or whatever year after year. I mean, we do get we do get indications of that. Um, insurance companies say that the catastrophic fires fire years of 2017 and 2018 wiped out the previous 20 years of profits. I also spoke with. Um, a uh, insurance industry analyst from the R Street Institute, and he says, you know, he um, his name is um, his last name is Theodoru, and he congr- you know gives congressional testimony all the time, and um, and is you know kind of a go to expert. People often ask him, hey, is the insurance industry just super greedy? And he went back and looked over a number of decades and found that while the S and P five hundred over the last couple of decades, has gone up an average of 14% a year. Uh, insurance company profits, insurance companies make about 4% a year. You know, so so there's so they're not making money hand over fist. Like, right. uh, they could like, still be greedy, but that's, that's, yeah, I that's mean, a judgment call. <laughs> How much is right. enough? Yeah. Um, but, you know, other states, of course, face similar climate change problems. Florida, hurricanes, tornadoes, Absolutely. floods. Uh, you know, why are insurance companies not fleeing those states? Is it that the the rate structure is just completely different and more beneficial to them? Well, I mean, one thing to say is that people do pay more in other states like Louisiana, Texas, Florida that have big climate risks. Um, 
insurance companies are leaving Florida. Florida Florida has enormous problems. They have really something kind of, for the debate. Yeah, tonight, exactly. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know their their version of sort of the the what California has is a fair plan. It's like the insurer of last resort. Florida has a citizens insurance. Um, and it has it's really undercapitalized, very shaky, enormous problems. Um, so you know, overall, there's some unique problems to California, but climate change is really upending the whole insurance industry model as we know it. So we have, on the one hand, the insurance commissioner rewriting these regulations. They will become public. There will be feedback. We will all hear mm-hmm. the outcry, whatever they are. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, as I mentioned, the legislature tried and failed to get something over the finish line um, in the last few minutes. Like, do you expect that to come back legislatively next year? And what what would they be tackling? Because as we know, ballot measures got to go back to the voters if you want to change them significantly. Yeah, I think what what's on the table right now are just tweaks within the realm of, you know, Prop 103. And the idea of voters approving something that opponents can say, hey, this is going to make your rates skyrocket. I mean, it just seems like a Yeah. You know, we started off this this segment talking about Jason Majors, uh, the man you met up in Santa Rosa, having a hard time uh, selling his house because they can't get insurance. Um, I'm wondering, you know, to what extent, um, you know, can this be addressed by like communities deciding? Because there's a line in your podcast about, you know, any home is only as safe as the least safe neighbor. So to what extent, like, do would it be helpful to have like a policy within a county or a neighborhood Right, something the government to, can help. Yeah, yeah, to enforce and say, hey, you've got to make this less fire prone. It would be enormously helpful. One of the most promising solutions I learned about in reporting from my podcast um, was spearheaded by the by the climate officer of Sonoma County. And she was trying to hammer out this plan where a neighborhood where people are having a lot of trouble getting insurance would all meet a certain level of fire safety. And in exchange, they would basically be guaranteed from insurance companies reliable, affordable insurance if certain standards were maintained. I think that's a that's a potentially promising model. It was getting off the ground and then, you know, all state and state farm all began leaving and uh, it just put the whole thing on ice. There's other ideas too of um, you know, looking at kind of landscape level safety with um bringing in insurance companies, fire authorities, uh, that really kind of needs to be, in addition to some increase of rates, uh, community-level safety really needs to be the way of the future. Yeah. Danielle Venton, she contributed to the podcast Sold Out, Rethinking Housing in America. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks, Danielle. Thank you. That's going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineer today is Christopher Beal. Our producer is Izzy Bloom. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can also find this podcast wherever you find your podcast. We'll see you next time. Hope insurance is sexy now.
I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.